Chapter Ten of Fresh Every Hour by John Peter Tuey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Fifteen minutes after peace had been declared, McClintock and Jimmy, both thoroughly soaked and decidedly uncomfortable, foregathered in the latter's office for a comparison of notes and a general consultation. That'd make a pip of a story if you'd dare to let it get out ventured the press-agent, as he wrung out the corner of his saturated coat into a waste-basket. "'Well, I don't dare,' returned the manager peevishly. "'That's one story that the censor isn't going to let get through if he can stop it.' "'What's the harm?' inquired Jimmy innocently. McClintock looked him over carefully before replying. "'What's the idea?' he remarked scornfully. "'Is your reason tottering on its throne? Don't you know that if this thing got out it'd scare away the family parties that are the backbone of our patronage? You couldn't induce women to come within half a mile of the park if they heard about this rumpus. They'd think it might happen again any minute, and they'd remain away in a body, and they'd keep father and the boys away too. Get that straight.' "'There's something in it, I guess,' opined Jimmy slowly. "'You put your money three ways on that. You've got a new job tonight, Mr. Man. You've got to forget about putting things in the papers. It's up to you to keep something out for a change.' "'Maybe somebody'll blab the whole thing.' "'I've issued orders to have everyone instructed to give an imitation of a tongue-tied clam, but so doggoned many people were in on this that it's pretty certain there'll be a leak somewhere. That's where you come in.' "'What can I do?' inquired the press-agent ruefully. He was plainly displeased with the vista opened up by his superior. "'You can do every little thing there is to do,' returned McClintock firmly. "'I want you to make a personal matter of this. I want you to drop into town and make the rounds of all the morning papers. I want you to see every city editor and make a special plea to have the thing hushed up. Tell him it'll ruin us for the summer if it gets out. Make it strong. It's going to be the acid test of how useful you really are around here. String him along. Let him understand that you won't take no for an answer. I'm going to dust over home in my car for a clean-up and a long, dreamy nap. Good night. Jimmy started to expostulate, but he stopped short when the office door slammed in his face. He stood irresolutely as the chug-chug of McClintock's machine died away in the distance. Then he dropped into a chair, reached for a pack of cigarettes on the table, lit one, and indulged himself in painful cogitation. Under ordinary circumstances he would have experienced profound physical discomfort from his water-soaked clothes, and the general feeling of stickiness that enveloped him from head to feet, but physical feelings were matters of slight importance to him at the moment. The distress which was registered upon his face was purely mental in its origin but it was intense and singularly disturbing. He felt that he was up against the hardest job of his life, and he could see no way to hurdle what seemed to be the insurmountable barriers that confronted him. In the language of journalism, Jimmy knew news. He knew precisely what sort of an incident or happening or bit of romancing, for that matter, would appeal to the trained newspaper executive as worth playing up and precisely the sort of stuff that would be passed up. By all the tests he was familiar with, 
by all the general rules and regulations of the game, the story of the jamboree of the savage gentlemen from the far-flung isles of the Pacific, of their attempt to raid the park, of the battle between them and the guards, and of their final defeat, was one of the biggest bits of feature news that had transpired in or about New York that summer. If it had leaked into any newspaper office, he knew there was about as much chance of his keeping it out of print by making a personal plea as there would be of suppressing the announcement of the engagement of a daughter of the President of the United States to the Prince of Wales. If it hadn't leaked, and there was a fair chance that it hadn't because of the state of the weather, he was painfully aware of the fact that by calling on the city editors in person and asking them not to use it, he would simply be handing them a tip on which they would base an investigation. The story was decidedly too good to be hushed up by any plaintive wail about ruining our business. He would have mentioned all these things to McClintock if the latter hadn't made such an abrupt departure. He told himself now that even if he had been able to voice them, the manager wouldn't have comprehended the impossible nature of the task he had so casually mapped out. Folks who haven't smelled the smell of the paste-pot and heard the press's roar usually have the weirdest sort of naive notions concerning just what and just what cannot be done in the way of either inserting news in the columns of a great metropolitan daily or keeping it out. The acid test. Jimmy kept remembering these three words, and the oftener they recurred to him the more distressed he became. He sat hunched up in his chair, looking out into the pouring rain, and consuming cigarettes at a most alarming rate. At about the middle of the sixth cigarette, he straightened up. At the beginning of the seventh, he arose and began to pace the floor while a new idea slowly unfolded in his active mind. When he was two puffs into the eighth, he flung it into a corner with a resolute sweep of his arm, dived for the telephone, called up Beekman 4000 and impatiently joggled the hook until a response came. "'Hello, world,' he said jerkily. "'Give me the city desk. Hello, city desk? Who is that? McCarthy? Say, McCarthy, this is Martin of Jollyland. Martin. M-A-R-T-I-N. Publicity director of Jollyland. Raining here? You betcha. Say, I've got something pretty good for you. Hot stuff.' Be on the lookout for it, will you? Dope? No, sir. This is the real goods. No fooling. On the level. You can expect it before midnight. Goodbye. In the next ten minutes, Jimmy, in feverish haste, called up the city desks of all the other morning papers and repeated practically the same message to each. Then he ordered three messenger boys to report to him in half an hour, stuck six sheets of carbon between seven long sheets of copy paper, inserted the numerous layers in his typewriter, and began to pound out, with ever-increasing speed, a narrative that was to either make him or break him. It was nearly midnight when an office boy dropped a long manila envelope marked News, Rush, on the desk in front of Larry McCarthy, Night City Editor of the World. The early mail edition had gone to press ten minutes before, and McCarthy had just come up for air for a brief interval before plunging into the final activities of the night. The tension had relaxed, and he was joking with the managing editor, who had stopped to give a few parting instructions on his way home. 
McCarthy tore the envelope open almost unconsciously as he went on talking and unfolded the four long sheets of paper which it contained, sheets covered with closely written, typewritten matter. His gaze drifted carelessly to the top page, where it lingered as something seemed immediately to interest him. A cynical smile began to play over his features as he read. Presently it broadened into something more mellow and human. Then he burst into hearty laughter. "'Shades of Toady Hamilton!' he chortled. "'Here's the last word in hysterical romance. This fellow makes them all look like pikers. He called me up on the phone to tell it was hot stuff. Well, it certainly is. It certainly is!' "'What is it?' questioned the managing editor. "'It's a pipe-dream by a bright young gentleman who seems to be trying to make a living by getting pieces in the paper for Jollyland.' He must come from some place in the tall, tall grass if he labors under the delusion that he can put anything as raw as this over on a New York paper. I'll give him credit, though. It's a masterpiece of its kind. If someone ever starts a press agent's school, this could be used verbatim as a horrible example of the kind of contribution not to send out. Just listen to this heading. Bloody Uprising by South Sea Islanders at Jollyland Quelled believed to be result of Bolshevik plot. Maddened savages armed with spears and war clubs run amuck and attempt to take possession of Park. Whiskered Russian seen acting suspiciously. "'Isn't that immense?' went on McCarthy. "'Can you tie the colossal nerve of that fellow sending a thing like that out? Get his opening paragraph.' Maddened for a thirst with human blood, and believed to be acting under instructions from a Bolshevik agitator who was seen prowling about in the early evening, 186 naked savages from the South Sea Islands made a desperate attempt last night to massacre all the whites in Jollyland, the gigantic summer park on Coney Island. Giving utterance to blood-curdling cries of vengeance, and undaunted by the driving rain which was falling at the time, they made an attempt to break out of the village, where they give daily exhibitions of their quaint and curious native customs, and were held in check by the park attendants only after a wild and furious struggle lasting for nearly half an hour. The managing editor laughed uproariously. The poor old Bolsheviki, he chuckled. Even the press agents aren't using him. That story's certainly a gem of purest ray serene. I'd like to meet that young fellow. He'd make an interesting study. The telephone bell on McCarthy's desk rang just then, and the city editor reached for the receiver. Hello, he shouted. Yes, McCarthy, yes. I got one, too. It's a bird. We've just had the best laugh of the month over it. Most sublime imagination uncovered since Dante. You bet. That's Carlton of the Gazette, night desk man, he said as he hung up. He's got a great sense of humor. Wanted to know if I'd had this, and offered to send me his copy if I'd been forgotten. He crumpled Jimmy's composition up in a ball and tossed it in the big wastebasket at his side as a boy slipped him a first copy of the mail edition wet from the press. End of chapter 10